Well, good morning, church. So, so glad to be with you here at our online service. Um, we have been walking through Romans chapter 8 this summer, and we're continuing to do so here this morning. And um, I like to think of it as we've just been taking a deep drink of God's grace in Romans chapter 8. There are so uh, there's so much truth packed in here. There's so much to be mined out. In fact, we could. Uh, it's been said that you could spend an entire lifetime just treasuring and reading and rereading Romans 8, uh, and you would continue to learn new things and new revelations about the nature of God, the character of God, the work of Jesus, the power of the Spirit. Some have said that it is essentially uh, the Bible condensed down into one glorious chapter. And so... Uh, I personally have just grown tremendously. It's been uh, so hope-filled for me, especially during this season. It's been grounding for me in the gospel. It's just been, um, it's just been great to just just set my mind and my heart in one place for a long time. So I hope it's been uh, that same way for you. So I want to just encourage you to. Uh, throughout the week be reading along with us but we find ourselves in ch- in chapter 8 verses 26 and 27 just two verses this morning there's so much here uh, i'm going to read them and then we'll dive in god's word says this likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is a very interesting text. Um, Right out of the gate, uh, we're, we're met with this incredible truth, this super helpful truth that the Spirit of God, the Spirit that lives now inside of us, helps us in our weakness. That is tremendously good news. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and it's also in, uh, sort of an odd text when you first read it. You, it's, it's, it's strange because uh, there's things going on here that, you know, we, words we can't even utter, words we don't even know to say, but the Spirit's working and it's, uh, there's groanings happening too deep for words and God searches us. So it's a, it's, it's a strange text, yet also a hopeful text. So we're, we're going to dig in and dive in here um, and look at what God's word has to say for us specifically about the Holy Spirit. Um, John 16, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Uh, That is the spirit of truth and he will be with you forever. And so Jesus ascends to go be with the Father in heaven and Jesus looks at us as believers and says, hey, even though I'm gone, even though I'm leaving you physically here, I'm sending you a helper. That is the spirit of truth and he'll be with you forever. So those of us who are Christians who believe by faith have forever and ever with us the Holy Spirit of God. And that is incredible. Um, now, I know oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, especially sort of in present day or modern day um, evangelical churches or whatever your church background is, we have such a wide gap of what we think of and what we know of about the Holy Spirit. So often when we hear the Holy Spirit, depending on your context, 
Uh, you might think, well, that's just a bunch of emotional excess. Um, it's just um, maybe it is, depending on who you're talking about, oh, I feel kind of embarrassed even talking about that. Maybe your church tradition, there was all sorts of crazy things that went on and you feel embarrassed to even admit that you were a part of those things that were attributed to the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Holy Spirit today, when you think of it, and, and oftentimes when it's portrayed, especially maybe uh, on the religious TV channels and sometimes, or I will say a lot of times, made fun of on YouTube, um, it's, it's kind of this like religious elitism. There's a lot of emotion, um, meaning like some Christians have it and some Christians don't, and you really need to aspire to get it. Otherwise, you're a subpar second-class Christian. Um, and so when we look at the spirit, we sort, of, we sort of look at the landscape of the Christian church, I think a lot of times when we see the Holy Spirit and we think of the Holy Spirit, we don't even really think of it like as the Holy Spirit of God. We think of it more of um, an emotional spirit a lot of times based on what we've maybe seen or what we've experienced or what we hope the Holy Spirit might do in us. It's like, oh, I want those emotions. I want some of those feelings that excite me religiously. Uh, that make me feel a certain way. Um, there's, there's also other ideas of the Holy Spirit. It's Sometimes people think of it like a divine Ouija board, right? Remember that game growing up? My parents never let me play it. Um, <laughs> meaning, if you have the Holy Spirit, you somehow have this direct revelation to God and no one else has it but you and so you have this special insight. So you don't even really need the Bible because you have the Holy Spirit that guides you. Uh, and you just can kind of feel it and you know. Well, all of those are opposed to really the biblical meaning of the Holy Spirit. Those are all maybe errors or they're um, not founded in the scriptures. And the biblical meaning of the Holy Spirit is, is this. It is by which the revealed body of truth, the word of God, the person of Christ is made alive to you and I now and clear to us by the Holy Spirit that God gives to us. So the things of God, the ways of God, and the purposes of God now become clear to us and the word of God is illumined to us because that which God gifts to us in the Holy Spirit. It is not an, an emotional spirit, it's a Holy Spirit, so that we can understand and discern the holy things of God. Um, one of the great corruptions of the 20th century in the church has been incorrect doctrine uh, of the spirit, or the big seminary word for that is pneumatology. Um, that's the word for spirit, is pneuma. So the pneumatology is the study of uh, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give a little history lesson because um, I think it's helpful for us to kind of see where we got here. How did this happen? So uh, it'll be quick. You could spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at this. But these errors find themselves uh, um, years and years and years ago in what was called the holiness movement. And the holiness movement did this. It sought out what was referred to what they called a second blessing. And the second blessing was the gift of the Spirit. 
So in the holiness movement, they believe that you didn't actually get the Holy Spirit of God at salvation, but that this was a second higher level of spirituality that God then gave to uh, those whom he chose to bestow this second blessing on. This holiness movement became the Pentecostal movement or denomination. And the Pentecostal denomination, if I'm just going to paint it with the broad strokes, you sought out the gift of speaking in tongues uh, as a proof of your salvation. And so the Pentecostal movement really spread. And this morphed into the charismatic movement, where it was no longer just denominationally affiliated. Uh, but th- the thought was that okay, all Christians were to seek out this second blessing. And if you didn't get it, then somehow you were less than. And so it had inroads to spiritual elitism. It had inroads to saying, oh, well, I didn't get that gift, so I'm not as good as this person. Um, and that, in that movement, the charismatic movement, then gave way to um, what ch- church history um, scholars would call the third wave. And the third wave took this second blessing. The third wave took this emotional experience. The third wave took this, um, I have special divine insights to God by the Holy Spirit and you don't. And it then morphed into, okay, it's not just speaking in tongues that you're seeking, but a second blessing now comes with these other things, namely that you would be healthy, that you would be wealthy, and that if God really loves you, you can easily drop the 15 corona pounds that you've put on the last few weeks, right? Or whatever else it is that you're really desiring and want in your heart, that the super spiritual would get that. And this is known as the prosperity gospel. Um, that is rampant on our television stations and is rampant on the mission field in third world countries who feel if they would just pray hard enough, God would lift them out of their circumstance if only he would love them. Um, And this is a perversion of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that as um, as we encounter this text right here, we have a great need for biblical solid teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I would like for us as a church family to be literate on what it is the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. The Holy Spirit is real. I'm not saying that all these, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit isn't, but I'm saying we, meaning the church, has gotten off the rails many different times with regard to this doctrine. So let's jump in. The context of Romans 8 in this passage is suffering. Remember, if we, uh, if, if we are going to live with him, we were also counted and granted it to suffer with him as, as well so that we will one day be glorified with him in heaven. And so when we are saved immediately, our salvation is complete. We're not looking for some other thing that he's holding out on us. So the second blessing that you get is nowhere found in the scriptures. When you come to faith, you get all of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. New life is infused. Salvation is given to you. Um, so we are, our salvation is complete in Jesus, but yet we cannot enjoy all of our salvation yet because we're not with him in heaven. So Um, Paul states it this way in in other places that right now we see in a mirror dimly lit, but one day we'll see him face to face. So we don't have it all yet. We're living in um, the shadows, if you will. 
So we are fully justified, meaning we're fully saved. But yet still here on earth right now, presently we endure sin. And we suffer one day at a time until one day we're with him in glory. And we'll never suffer again. I heard my, one of my favorite seminary professors, Dr. John Hanna at Dallas Seminary, said it this way, and it's always stuck with me. He said that the Christian faith is a mental struggle to believe every single day until the day you die, and then you eternally win. And I love that. Here was a man in his 70s, uh, knew the Bible, godly man, admits the struggle of the Christian faith, but yet is hope-filled because he says one day we'll see him and we'll eternally be with him, we'll eternally win with him because all of his victories then become ours. So we're fully justified in Christ, yet we, f- we won't fully enjoy our adoption um, until one day we're with him in glory. And so right now we're, we're, we're in this valley, so to speak, um, and we have to walk through these sufferings with Jesus until we see him fully. And the rest of Romans 8 really is the Apostle Paul telling you and I, telling believers, how do we now walk in this valley? How do we walk in it faithfully? How do we walk in it um, knowing he's with us? How do we walk in it with confidence yet humility? Um, And it begins to shape our hearts in the Christian walk that we find ourselves in. So last week we looked at this great uh, message of hope that one day we will in the flesh be with God in glory in heaven and we have that hope. We will see him face to face and it carries on, right? And this is what carries us on. This is what gets us through. But Paul's gonna say in our text this morning, uh, there's something else. So we have an eternal hope that one day we'll be with him, but there's something else that carries us through right here in the valley that we find ourselves in as Christians. And he says, it's the spirit of God. So we have hope, and then we have the Holy Spirit now guiding us and is with us in the valley, in the difficulty, when we need him the very most. So it's not just, hey, hold on, you have hope one day, so kind of figure it out on your own here. It's, yes, you have great hope one day, and God himself is with you in the everyday, as you fight, as you struggle for righteousness and purity, and love, and justice. So in verse 26, the Bible says this. He says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that you're weak? The Bible talks about this all the time. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are plagued with weakness. Uh, If you don't believe that about yourself, you are not in good company in the Christian faith. Um, the, The story arc of the Bible is that our great sin of man is that of pride, thinking we don't need God, or we are better than God, or we can be our own God. And the story, the the meta-narrative of scripture is creation, fall, and redemption is that God in his grace takes prideful, sinful men and humbles them over and over and over again because he's the only one that deserves the place at the top, at the throne of our hearts. 
So we need help. Maybe for you this morning, you just need to admit that for the first time and say, I need help. I'm desperate for it. I I can't fake it anymore. So God, come in and help me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need, we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit because we live among company of fools so often. We need strength as we seek to walk in faithfulness to God. We need help to have courage and not cower when we are called to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ. Um, and we need the power that is given to us in the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that. Romans, or I'm sorry, Acts 1.8 We receive power when the Spirit comes upon us because we need that power in helping us fight sin and helping us believe the gospel and helping us walk in purity and helping us fight injustice. We need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts when we falter. So church, we cannot grow without the work of the Spirit within us. We don't have it in us to do that which we cannot do in our flesh. The Spirit has to come and do that which we cannot accomplish on our own. And God gives that to us. And so we freely admit, Lord, we're weak, but you're strong. May your spirit guide. So verse, verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. So we need the hope of heaven and we need the help of the spirit, Paul says, as we walk this Christian life. Now, The word here, help us in our weakness, is a very interesting word picture. Um, It's a word, this help us in our weakness, is a word that kind of means to come alongside and help lift up someone's burden. So it's a togetherness of, it's, it's a word picture of someone coming around to the other side to help you lift something that is incredibly heavy and taxing. Uh, it's this idea, um, when you ask friends to help you move, you can't move all these heavy couches and tables on your own, so you need a friend to come on the other side and help you lift that which you cannot lift on your own to help bear this burden. This is this word, the likewise, in that same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, The Spirit gets on the other side of us and gets things done for us that we could never do on our own. Jesus says, I'm gonna send you this helper that will do this for you. We desperately need someone to get on the other side of things in our lives that we cannot conquer on our own, that we cannot lift up on our own, that we cannot find help for in and of ourselves. And Paul says here in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit of God is that helper for you. The Holy Spirit has always been a great helper all throughout the Bible. Um, A lot of times we sort of dismiss the work of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, Um, but he's real. And so when we look at the, the arc of Scripture, we see the Father, God the Father, he decrees all that is true. We see the the Son of God, he enacts that which the Father decrees, and the Spirit of God brings it about. So, for example, the Father decrees creation. The Son speaks it, and in him all things are created, the Bible tells us. And then the Spirit, it tells us, moves over the face of the deep where there was disorder and then brings order and light and life. 
So even at the very beginning in Genesis, we see the Trinity and we see this perfect harmony of relationship happening together. The Father chooses from eternity past all who shall be with him. The Son of God then lays his life down in keeping with this order that the Father decreed, and the Spirit of God is then sent to his children to draw us to faith. This is all over the scriptures. Isn't that so good? I've heard it said this way, that the Father is the architect, the Son is the builder, and the Spirit is the real estate salesman, right? He draws us in. He shows us the right way. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has always been there since Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Always. The Trinity has always been there, working in this form and fashion for the redemption of those of us who have fallen. In fact, we see it all over the Bible. This isn't just, uh, this isn't just a quick sort of um, sidebar theology. This is in Exodus. We see the Spirit of God is placed upon Moses to help them get through the wilderness, right? We see the Spirit fall on Gideon to help him. We see the Spirit fall on Samson to help him. We see the Spirit fall on Saul to help him lead. We see the Spirit fall on King David to help him. The Spirit falls on Daniel. The Spirit falls on Jesus as he begins his ministry. Remember, it descends on him like a dove. And so the Spirit of God is all over our Bible. We could dig in and look at all of those examples and be here for a really long time. But we won't, maybe for another day. The Gospels, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 50 times. The book of Acts, which is the story of the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 56 times. And in the epistles, starting in Romans all the way to Revelation, the Spirit is mentioned 125 times. The Holy Spirit is on the move and he is real. Um, and so from the Gospels to Acts to Romans, and all the way to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is mentioned and talked about 230 plus times. That's huge. So in this age, it's the Spirit of God that brings about his purposes in his people. The Spirit is at work. Why? Because Romans 8 tells us we need a lot of help. We're weak but he is strong. That's why we need the Spirit of God. Um, and then Paul goes on and he takes an area of the Christian life that ought to be really the easiest. Um, and he looks at us and Paul says, that one of the easiest things that kind of should be second nature to those of us who are in, in the faith, Paul says, you just, you don't even know how to do it. Um, and what is that that he talks about? Prayer. One of the most core spiritual practices of the Christian life, that of prayer, us talking to God. Romans 8, Paul says, you, you don't even know how to do that because you're so weak in, in the flesh. And so the Spirit of God actually has to intercede for us. How? He goes on and he tells us, with groanings too deep for words. How's that for a word picture? The Spirit of God, when we don't even know what to say or how to say it to God because of our weakness, the Holy Spirit in us 
is groaning for us things too deep that we don't even have words to articulate them. That's a strange verse, but it is a very helpful verse. Um, so groaning, when you, when you read that word, it's, it's this idea of tension. Uh, we've all seen this take place, right? I was just uh, talking to a friend of mine. Uh, in fact, he's right here behind the camera who's telling me about his Gold's Gym membership. And we all have those moments where we go to the gym and there's always that groaning guy. He's doing the bench press and he wants everyone in there to know that he's benching 225 pounds. And so he's making horrific noises that the whole gym can hear. He's the, the groaning guy. Why is he groaning? Because he's under great tension, right? Same idea here. That's the, this word that's used here. The Holy Spirit... Um, intercedes with us with groanings. There's, we're under attention as Christians in this life that we're leading because of sin, because of the flesh, and we sometimes don't know what to say, but the Spirit places attention on our hearts and we groan because we know how this world should operate. We know how we know how we're supposed to love our spouses and parent our kids and love our world and be there for our neighbors, but but sometimes we don't and we don't know what to say and we don't know how to articulate it and we don't even know how to repent of it. The spirit comes in and groans for us in that tension. So we live in this tension right now. Um, that's that word. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so when we come to God in prayer, um, when you bend your knee, we don't just flippantly toss off a bunch of stuff uh, that are on a piece of paper that are on our list. What Paul's des describing here is a prayer life uh, that we come to him with a contrite heart and we pray as God brings things to mind, even things deeper than words, even things that we don't know how to articulate, even things that, God, I, I want this to change, but I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to begin. And we, we bend a knee and we just beg him and we come with a heart that knows he can move or we cannot because we're in this tension. And some of the things that we're desperate for, they're too deep for words. Um, for example, is our country where it should be today? No. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you are on. Absolutely, I think 0.0% of the American population would say uh, that we are where we need to be as a nation. And so we as Christians come to God in prayer and there's tension in there and there's pain especially these last three months, we're wondering what on earth is going on here? How do we even begin to pray? What do we say? How do we begin? Everything seems fractured and broken and sick and I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to believe. I don't know who to turn to. And we have these, this tension that we don't even know what to say. This is what Paul's talking about. A groaning too deep for words, a desire for something to take place that we don't even know how to put it into words. But we come to God in prayer 
with the comfort that he helps us in that very place of weakness. Um, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. He searches our hearts. He knows us. So we come and we pray. And sometimes, church, this is okay if this happens. In fact, I hope this happens. Sometimes when we come to him, we have things so deep in us that we long for, that we just weep. Whether it be for your children, whether it be for your spouse, whether it be for this nation, whether it be that God would remove this sin from your life that has plagued you for decades, that you might just be broken and weep and the Spirit of God intercedes. And even when you don't know what to say, God knows your heart. That's what Paul's talking about here, Christian. Uh, it's not a checklist. It's not just some spiritual thing you do. It's not even uh, just this emotional response. It's even when we don't even have the words, we kneel. And we let our hearts open up to God and the Spirit of God sorts it out. Catch this, God doesn't just hear what you say, he hears what you feel and what you really mean. He actually knows you better than you know yourself. He made you. Verse 27, we're almost done. And he who searches hearts, that's what he does, knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we pray, he hears you. When we kneel, marvelous things begin to happen. The Christian is searched by God and he knows us. He knows your very heart, he knows my very heart. And because of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that illuminates our way. Not an emotional spirit, but a Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin that intercedes for us when we don't have words. Um, he intercedes for us to do what? Just to hear our checklist? No. So that our preferences would be met? No. So that we might have our best life now? No. Remember the context of all this is suffering so that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the valley we find ourselves in, in the midst of viruses, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of uh, economic downturns, in the midst of not knowing what's next, in the midst of all sorts of unknowns that we can't even put into words, we don't know how to fix, the Spirit intercedes. And he arrives at just the right time. And so when we kneel, great things happen for what? The will of God. Not for our will, but his. That is very good news. That is a loving and tender God because he hears us even when we don't know what to say. Let's go to him now. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the spirit right now is interceding for us when we don't even have words to say, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now watching this, wherever they're at. God, would you hear them by your spirit? Lord, I pray for each one of them listening that this week, today, they would bend a knee and they would go to you, not with a checklist, but just pour their heart out to you, 
because you are our good father and we are your adopted children and you long to hear for us and you can sort out what's going on in our hearts and you do it for our joy and for your glory. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.